Hello and welcome back to another episode of the MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. And I'm Jude. <laughs> How you doing, Trey? I am doing really well. I, uh, I'm excited. We're, I guess, technically our third episode, if you're counting the introduction. Yes, this is three in. Yeah, three in. And uh, we are, we're getting ready to dive into the second episode of Daredevil. And I'm, I'm feeling really excited, man. I think we, we learned some things in last week's episode, and uh, I'm really excited to get into it. We did. Same here. Oh, I um, actually went ahead and started watching the third episode. Um, oh, really? You've I, jumped ahead? I, well, I, I stopped myself. Right? Like I, I, I went and I got about to the the first segment. You know, you had that first segment before you get to the open mm-hmm. credits. Yeah, I watched about that far in just because I got hooked. Like yeah. so, so I just I just went with it. I, I feel that man. Like there, because I've I think I've watched episode two three times now, and every time because Netflix does that thing where it's like, hey, we'll just go ahead and autoplay that other ne- episode, and I'm like, oh, I want to watch, and then I stop and 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 wait. So I haven't seen episode any episode three yet. Okay. We'll get there next week. All right. All right. Yep. Good good call. But yeah, if you are tuning in, if this is your first episode, we are doing a deep dive, a rewatch of the Netflix Marvel series Daredevil. And we're going to be talking about episode two, Cutman. So immediately this episode, it, it has a cold open of Matt injured and losing a lot of blood. And he is found in a dumpster. It compared to the the opening sequence of last week's episode, this one was a lot shorter. Yeah, it was shorter. You know that, like you said, the following the trail of blood. Now, and something you know we'll mention in just a minute. But even for being shorter, I felt like they did a really good job um, mm-hmm. in explaining it. And you kept going last episode back to this the word economical, and it was actually I think a nice transition because you mentioned like we just said the the watch next with this binge watching idea especially like at this time when it came out we ended that last episode with him jumping off the rooftop right Mm -hmm. right going into action and then if you're doing that where it's like you let netflix pick up then it's not so much as a short open as much as it's like you kind of missed that battle like oh what the hell happened you know kind of kind of feeling uh, if, if you don't take that gap between episodes like we did. I will say this, though, and this is this is only a product of having obviously seen this once and then two knowing that this is episode two of a 13 episode season. It's kind of unintentionally funny that last week's episode ends with him like going into action. He's zoning in on the boy that's calling for distress. And then immediately the next episode, he's just in the dumpsters like, oh, OK, well. <laughs> I guess it didn't go that great, <laughs> but you know, he's going to be okay. Cause obviously he's the, the main character, but it, it yeah. was kind of unintentionally funny to me in the beginning. Well, well clearly he's not good at it yet. Right. <laughs> he's uh he's learning how to be the superhero. I mean, he is blind. So <laughs> I know. Uh, let, let me ask you this. Something, something oh, that just dawned on me. I want to ask, what do you think of the title sequence? I like it because it's, it's, I mean, it's kind of got that feeling of like blood materializing over different objects, like the uh, Lady Liberty, some bridges, and just different different constructs. And it it kind of has that textual feel, I guess. I don't know if I'm, I'm using my words correctly, but it, it gives me that same sense of how he interprets the world. It's not like a clear cut. It's just the I don't know, like a tactile feel. Right. Does that right. make sense? No, it does. It does. It makes me it, with that. It makes me think of wax, like hot wax melting. 
mm-hmm. or something. And I, and I realize it's the blood and, and this, but I, I was just curious what she thought. Cause I just, I really, I remember the very first time I saw it years ago, I loved it. And now, you know, Netflix gives you the option to skip the, the intro and I end up skipping it. So Which just, is, oh, you do. Yeah, I skip. That's intros. a true. I watch it every time. I I I'm one of those people who will sit through an intro and and I will rewatch it because like it just it's part of the whole experience for no, me. No, I I end up skipping the intro. I am I am that person. <laughs> which which is also weird because I would advocate like in reading a book you have to read the introduction and the foreword and all that stuff. You can't just jump you know jump to chapter one. So yeah, I I guess I need to start watching the intro again. <laughs> at least the first rewatch so immediately after the title sequence uh we get introduced to rosario dawson's character who still at this point is unnamed she uh, she's brought along by the person who originally discovered matt in the dumpster and uh, almost immediately she brings him into her apartment and starts tending to his wounds yeah and one one of the things i liked about overall this episode and with her is it felt like her episode in a yes. way. Like they didn't just introduce a new character and just give us a quick snippet, right? Like she was a main driving force throughout the whole episode. And it was almost like giving you, I mean, think if you think about who we met in episode one, right? Um, we didn't really meet a true outsider, right? There was Foggy, Wesley, you have all these characters where Claire, you get an opportunity to be, you know, in her shoes, in her eyes of like, what if you encounter somebody, vigilante, superhero, whatever, and what would you think? What would you do kind of reaction? Uh, and so that was one of the things I liked about the entire episode, what they did with her character. She, she almost becomes like a surrogate for the audience. I, 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 the way that you put it, like being an outsider, I, I didn't look at it that way at first, but now looking back on it, that's I like that. That's a really interesting perspective. Really, it, it, there's we'll get to it in a minute, but we basically have three plots going on. And the way that they set up Rosario Dawson's character and her interactions with Matt mirrors what we're going to get into here in a second. And the way that those play off each other and end up culminating by the end was one of my favorite parts about this episode as well. Oh, yeah. I, they did a really good job of setting up that relationship. And besides from being Rosario Dawson, like, and so you have this, oh, I know they're going to be throughout the season. You really do get a sense of what that relationships going to be for them um and i do like that they gave daredevil some kind of character and most superheroes have that now right like whether it's iron man and jarvis or friday like there's some kind of there's this recognition right that they can't do it alone yes right and they're not necessarily a sidekick either it's the the spider-man homecoming man in the chair you kind of kind of think with ned you know and and like in in a weird way that's kind of daredevil's man in the chair so to speak and so i don't know if i when i first watched it i thought of it that way but definitely on this rewatch this is the way i'm thinking of it now so from there as she's tending to his wounds uh eventually she kind of gets him stabilized and he ends up passing out again and that's where we get our first flashback of the episode which as i was alluding to earlier is what i would consider the b plot of the story where we see matt back in his childhood and he's at home alone watching his father fight in in the boxing match obviously this is pre uh incident so he still has his sight and ultimately he watches his father lose and the i, th- I think the real crux of the scene is once his father returns back home and they end up having a conversation together one of the things i noticed i was looking at my notes like the very first 
flashback we get, right? Like episode one, he, he's blind. And there's like this intimate moment where Murdoch, Matt, Matthew, like feels the, the wound, so to speak, with his hands, right? And on this one, he can see, but with both of them, you still get that same theme, like Murdoch's get up kind of thing. And I liked how, because it was what, three flashbacks in this episode? Four? Oh yeah, I mean they're they're they interweave so many different flashbacks in this episode. Yeah, yeah, and so there's a so there's a lot of storytelling here, and and I liked that the the way they did that and kind of kind of dropped it all in one episode rather than well, I mean clearly there was one in the first episode I just mentioned, but I just I like that story storytelling mechanic or mechanism or or I don't know why I'm not clicking the right words. Um, <laughs> uh, device in, in doing these flashbacks because I mean you know the relationship of young Matthew Murdoch tending to his father Jack Murdoch's wounds is a direct mirror to Rosario Dawson's character tending to older Matt Murdoch's wounds uh, and it, it's it that kind of mirroring will play out throughout the rest of the episode and it I think was a very effective way of telling their story and and to to play off what you said about like you know taking the hit uh i kind of jumped ahead last episode but this is where we get that line where his dad reinforces that theme by saying it ain't how you hit the mat it's how you get back up and the fact that they were able to recite it together it just continuously hammers home that point about what the murdoch mantra is about like taking a punch and as we saw in the beginning of the episode matt definitely took a lot of punches in the beginning right you know what and some of the things that i really uh, no, did you see how his dad got knocked out? Did you catch that? I did not. A TKO. Uh-huh. And to me, that was really significant um, because two things that jumped out was, A, with the TKO, that's the, the, the ref, right, stopping the fight, saying the fighter is too hurt or injured to go on. And, I, you know, honestly, I've never caught this until now was you hear the announcer say that Price, the fighter, was just as surprised as the crowd that he won that. And so you get that first clue that there was, um, he threw the fight, you know, you just illuminated that for me. Holy shit. Right. And so, and so it's interesting about that. Not only you have that theme, you get that where he threw the fight, uh, TKO. And so while you have this theme of him telling his son, one thing, yeah, you got to get back up. That's not what his actions were. His actions was he threw it. He gave up, you know? So that was interesting of where, to me, the, there was this disconnect in what he actually did versus said. And that makes that line. Man, I'm so glad that you brought that up. I, I completely missed that because he has that line where he tells young Matt, he goes, even when you lose, you can still win. And I thought that was like an inspirational, like, you know, don't give up, son, kind of thing. But right before that scene ends, it kind of lingers on him going through the money and it kind of feels somber and guilty. You putting that together. That, wow, that's that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, they did a good job of there with that lingering, like you said, that that lack, that disappointment. And yeah, and and something else I noticed while he's waiting, a, a note I had was like basically when it cuts to Matt in the kitchen, you hear a bunch of yelling in the background. Like you see that this little kid. So we know what he was blinded at nine. So he was what at least eight, you mm-hmm. know. Let's say. So we have this little kid who just watches dad get beat, and then you hear all the yelling basically you know he's just surrounded by violence uh at a very early age you know and i thought that was a really interesting thing that they tried to tease out and and really emphasize 
and and not only that, being surrounded by violence. I mean, look what he ends up having to do. Like he he has to tend to his father's wounds. Like he's sewing up a cut on his dad's eyebrow. And the way they talk about it, this isn't his first time doing it. And I think one of the really important things coming away from this, like the first note that I wrote down was that child Matt is very mature uh, for for his age. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I I can't imagine being that age and being like, hey, yeah, I'm going to stitch my dad up Mm -hmm. or asking one of my kids, hey, come stitch me up. Like, yeah, that that blows my mind. Get a sip of scotch first and then come tend to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, a, ni- a nice way to be introduced to to drinking. <laughs> <laughs> so immediately from there, uh, we, we get introduced to what I will consider the third plot line. We are back to present day. Karen is back at the Nelson and Murdoch offices. She's uh, organizing and going through boxes. And she discovers that she's not alone because Foggy is still late at the office as well. And he is just singing at the top of his lungs. Uh, and she uh, immediately interrupts him to let her know that she's still there. I'll be honest, this scene made me uncomfortable. Really? Yeah. I think I think it has to do with time. I don't. I wasn't uncomfortable the first time I watched it. Mm-hmm. Right? But that, that, that interaction now, I'm like, that's, that's your coworker. Yeah. Not only that, that's your subordinate, right? That's your secretary, Mm -hmm. right? And so the element of hitting on her, you know, while Mm -hmm. like in a show like this, it can be forgivable. But I think about it in the workplace and I'm just like, it it was, I was, I was kind of surprised because I know, you know, and I've, what happens and I know the relationship that develops, but yeah, that interaction, the interactions between them and some, in some areas was like, wow, that's kind of uncomfortable for me. I think the further we go down this road of doing rewatches and deep dives is we're going to run into these situations where, like you said, at the time it didn't didn't stand out to you as much. But one of we're going to see in retrospect is that some of these things didn't age well. I, I, I didn't get as uncomfortable as you did, but I can see what they were trying to do and establish the friendship between them. But it's very clunky. And there's times where it's like, like you said, we know how it eventually plays out. But you know foggy's kind of pushing the the inappropriate levels here and there and then they kind of come back to just being good friends right well i mean it was that main line of like i'm awkward and whatever but you don't seem to have that problem and clearly like you're hitting on your coworker. And, it's playfully tone deaf right and and i mean there's elements of like and and i don't want to go too far down this road that's not what i was trying to do i'm just mentioning i just I was just surprised, actually, my my reaction to that. I'm there. Like, the, the interactions and and what they develop from there is fantastic. I always find Foggy funny. But I'm just surprised. Um, and I don't know how much of it's the times have changed. Maybe I've changed from the first watch to now. That was one thing that really jumped out. I will say this. A, a positive that I think we can take away from this scene and what they were trying to do. I, something I tried to articulate last episode, but I, I kind of lost my point, was one of the things that I think... I remember feeling kind of at odds with the first time I watched this was how quickly Karen's character goes from being incredibly traumatized, justifiably so given everything that she went through. And then by the end of the episode, you know, she was part of the gang. She was, you know, she seemed okay. And it, it, it felt like a weird jump of, of character, like what she was dealing with to where she was. I like that this episode takes the time to kind of, because they hint at the fact that she's uncomfortable. Like you kind of, why is she staying late? And then you start to realize, Oh, 
you know, everything that happened back at her apartment with the discovering the body, like it makes sense. Like they allude to it. And of course they'll dive into it deeper as we go on. Right. Right. And I like, and, and just, you know, to echo your point, like I like that um, they're taking the time to develop the character, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's one of the things that works so well with the long form storytelling like this, rather than a, you know, a movie is you get that opportunity to develop. I'm going to take this episode. I mean, think about it. We just developed, they developed Karen in this episode. You establish that relationship between her and Foggy. That, yeah, all relationships, I guess, start awkward at first, maybe. And then Claire. We get introduced to Claire, and that gets, I think, well-developed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that continual thread of your, what you kept saying, just very economical in, in mm-hmm. what they do and how they they show us these these characters' lives. So yeah, I mean that that transitions nicely from from the the present scene with Karen and Foggy. The next very scene that we get is we're back with Matt and Rosaria Dawson's character who through their interactions we discover that her name is Claire. And this is where you know there it, it starts off with Matt being very worried because she has seen his face. One of the things that I, I liked a lot about this scene is this is where we kind of get like a, a, a back and forth push between Claire and and Matt as they're trying to find out more information about each other while still being protective of their own reasons, you know, their own moral code. I think one of the lines that I liked a lot that they both kind of joke back and forth is as Claire's pushing Matt for more information, Matt coyly responds, the less you know about me, the better. And that's something that Claire gets to reiterate back to him as he tries to get information out of her. Yeah, I thought it was a nice, nice interaction play back and forth. And eventually, I think the, they concede that Matt's not going to give up his name, but Claire decides to to call him Mike because she had an ex-boyfriend that was also good at keeping secrets. And I, I thought that was kind of a playful way to keep their their uh, character relationships going. Right. And and it gives us, you know, we learn a little something about Claire. And it's mm-hmm. it, it's it a was, nice little tidbit. Yeah, it was a nice interchange. So from there, eventually he gets stabilized and we, we get another flashback. And this is a shorter flashback. It's young Matt. It's it's clearly after the incident where he loses his vision. And it's, in, it's him in a hospital bed freaking out. We're starting to get that first glimpse of his sensory overload because he's hearing a lot of, you know, background chatter and he's freaking out and he's dealing with the fact that he can't see. And in comes his dad to comfort him. Right, and there's a couple of things. Right, right. You mentioned the stabilize. Right, the the last line Claire gave was this: "Make sure, hey, we're going to make sure you're stabilized, um, and then we'll figure other stuff out." Then we go to Matt, young Matt, not you know panicking, not stable, so to speak. And this is the first flashback where the dad wasn't down. It was Matt that was down. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so in that way, it was a little different. And you have that that kind of intimate moment like there like there's this you're right there was this overwhelming of sound but what really calmed him down was when he was like touching his dad's face right yes and and then there was that that element of i don't know why there was just for me just this weird this interesting uh intimacy between the two of them of like i i because he has this like he can hear he knows his dad's voice but that something about that touch is what is what really did it and worked really well it, I think that the, the the feeling of sentimentality comes from us kind of innately inferring from the fact that obviously Jack is new to this. I mean, his, he's dealing with the fact that his young child lost his, his vision and to just immediately know, 
hey, this is how I comfort my son. Like, hey, ground yourself. Feel my face. I'm here. I'm with you. It's very tender and it's very sweet. And to kind of circle back to what we said earlier, it plays into that tactile feel feel of the opening credits, which is really nice. Oh, it does. It does. So you said this was a short short flashback and then that jumps us back to the couch and one of the things i liked was when, when he jumps back he's he's basically convulsing like he can't mm-hmm. breathe right and he's gasping for breath and he's basically convulsing and i just that quick moment right you get the not stabilized he's on the bed you see him not stabilized and then he becomes stable and when we jump back in he's not stable Right. And and she has to to step in and fix him really quick. Two thoughts. A, um, it was a nice way to transition in and out of those scenes. And B, man, if it was me and you were having to do that, I'm probably calling 911 at that point. Like throw <laughs> I'd be a terrible hero. Like, like throw, <laughs> throw that out. Like like something's going on. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny, I think, to kind of play off that, I think she ends up having a line where she kind of she kind of takes a jab at him by critiquing all his injuries by saying something like, oh, you know, you're not really good at this. And I love the way Matt kind of has a line where he says, oh, you're just catching me on an off night, kind of tying back into the way that these flashbacks keep mirroring himself. That's the same line that his dad gave young Matt when he came back home from losing that first fight. Oh, yeah, yeah, that that's a good catch on that. You know, and and we got to figure what if if seeing him at the docks in episode one was his first time out. He really hasn't been doing this long. So I I think another thing I like about the scene in particular is that eventually Claire does get it out of Matt that the reason why he's such in bad shape is that he confides into her that the Russians had kidnapped a boy. You know, this is playing off what we saw from last week's episode and uh, in opening up where we find him now. And the thing that I think I like the most is up until this point, Claire has been very defensive, you know, rightfully so, because she even has that line about how, you know, I'm going through all the different scenarios in this. If this ends with you dead, there's no scenario that that doesn't end with me in handcuffs. And then as soon as he opens up about what's going on, she immediately starts to have a tonal change and is like, all right, I'm in because she wants to help the young boy as well, which to me was such a great character defining moment without having to do too much it was it was really subtle right and and it shows i I think a couple of things not only shows that but it does give you also a sense of what that city or at least that area of new york is like right of of the sense of like oh the right thing to do and is to help this person who's trying to help this boy you know Mm -hmm. Uh, and a lot of that's going on um i also liked that connection um that they made that it was a boy who watched his dad get beat. That's Matt. That's Matt's story. Um, and so in, in that sense, that off night, you know, and him talking about himself being reckless and whatnot, he lets the emotions, you know, get the best of him here uh, yeah. in, in that sense, you know, saving that, trying to save that kid. And it's really nice because we, we talked about last week how the episode one kind of kind of teased out that question, like what what did what motivates Matt to do what he does beyond just justice? And the way that these stories are mirroring each other is is a direct answer to that question. Oh, very much so. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, you really need to know, like you said, what is that motivation factor for justice here? Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, like you have this stereotypical superhero, right? Batman, dad, Spider-Man, um, Uncle Ben. Tony Stark. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, Tony. Yeah, Tony. <laughs> I mean, 
in, in, well, uh, that was just that was purely to stir up the people on Reddit who aren't uh, too big a fan of Tony Stark being so so intertwined with Peter Parker. You know what? I, I'm okay. I like I, it. Hey, I, I like it. I'm gonna just say say there, and I think it works. Uh, mm-hmm. We've we've seen, you know, oh, it's become well, a joke. This way. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Uncle Ben enough times that that we we know. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, there's some kind of father figure. And so you're right. Th- that attempt to say, no, we're going to fight for justice, not for for some other reason, I feel like. And I do feel like, honestly, Daredevil has some other reason, right? To me, I get what I get more out of that story and what we've got so far is his drive to do what yep. he's doing, right? Not a society wronged me kind of way. You know, it's not the the Bruce Wayne, oh, this person killed my dad. Now I'm going to stop all this crime so this doesn't happen to another person. I feel like, go back to that episode one, we talked about that dual nature of man. Like, he's honestly struggling with how and what is the best way to fight for justice, right? Is it this idealized law way? Is it the vigilante way because the law doesn't work? And what he gets from his dad is... Don't get up, or don't get up. Don't. <laughs> yeah, that's a very short Netflix season. Don't get up. Don't get up. No, uh, what he gets from his dad. Don't stay down. Get up. Yep. Right. And and so that's a very different a motivating factor coming out of his dad. From there, the the scene kind of comes to to um, a punctuation with Matt sensing that an intruder's coming up to the apartment. You know, Claire is doubtful, but she's going along with it. Which to, to kind of sum this up. I like how it becomes like a, a, a proving test for where Claire is going to sigh. Like, is she believing this guy or, or, you know, how is she going along with this? Well, and it's a good opportunity to, I mean, we know how Daredevil does what is what he does. Right. Mm-hmm. And now she's getting to see firsthand, you know, the things he can do, you know, Hey, there's someone on the third floor. You can smell somebody on the third floor, you know, kind of, Kind of thing. So, so she's starting. She's basically being educated the way we got educated. Episode one on this is how he does what he does. So from there we get yet another flashback. Uh, this time it's with his dad. He's training at the gym. Uh, a young Matt is seated, and we're, we're we're getting a first taste of him learning Braille. Obviously, you know, having just lost his vision, this is something that he's going through, and it, it's a tender moment between Jack and his son. And then some shady people arrive at the gym and call Jack away. Right. And I think here's where we get our first. I mean, I have a note down that says Jack is a good dad. Right. Yes. Like, like I, you just, I, I just feel that when I'm watching from the very beginning, you know, when he, when he picks up his, uh, when I say the very beginning episode one before the opening credits, tending to his son at the, at, on the street. Um, and he realizes, hey, don't touch your eyes, and, and, and tries to there. From the very beginning, you tell he loves his, his son. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in this flashback, we see uh, two things at work. A, as you said, Matt as a mature kid already, but listening in from a distance of what's going on with that, with that extra sensory power. And his dad, at first, turning down the money. You know, and and then and then really having to choose between seemingly two goods, right? This financial security for his son or integrity, right? And Mm -hmm. and what his how his son sees sees him and how he wants his son to grow up. Now, I do want to ask you a question and I'm not sure how I read this scene. Do you get a sense here that Jack knows that like he can hear 
at that level? No. At a distance? I don't think so. I didn't get that read at all. At least for me, because he keeps looking back at his son. And from my memory, he kind of like he kind of like leans in a little bit more to the shady men um, who are offering him this chance to fight Creel. But he's being forced to have to take a dive. And he's I think his tone gets a little bit quieter. So that that to me signals that he's still trying to keep this away from Matt. Like, I don't I don't think that he knew. But what about you? Right. Well, I don't know. Like, I'm I don't think he knew. I don't think he knew that Matt had that super hearing. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and part of me was just wondering if like, cause he's the, the changing of mind. Cause clearly earlier we know that he was fine with taking a dive. We know he didn't like it in the end, but we know he's comfortable, well, comfortable might be the right word, but he's willing to, to do it. So to have that change there at that, at that moment, that's why I was wondering, it's like, whoa, wait, did he know Matt was listening? You know? And, and I was just, I was just curious if you read that scene in that way. No, I didn't read it that way, but I think it kind of signals how he's approaching things differently now that he's living in this world where you know he's having to care for his son in a different way and i think it's it's less about like oh his son can hear him now and it's more about he wants to be a better role model for his son moving forward like showing that you can overcome these challenges you can continue onward and so i guess maybe he's kind of struggling internally with his own morality of like you know is this really despite the money being good and keeping them afloat, is this what he needs to be doing for his son? With that, you get a nice mirroring of the, of the, of the next scene. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I see these two scenes very much. I mean, they're obviously going together, but like that, they get into it with the dialogue. You're very good at taking a beating, you know, match response. That part I got from my dad. First thing he's in the ring training, when that training session's over or sparring session, I guess, is over, the di- first dialogue you hear in that flashback is to Jack's is, way to take a punch, Jack. In that scene, like you have that mirroring, the transition out mm-hmm. is that where Claire has to make a choice between seemingly two goods. Do I believe, right. you know, NYPD? Do I believe Daredevil? I mean, because here's truly the ultimate choice. And so I liked that transition out of there. Because cause you see what his dad did, right? His dad wanted to make a moral choice, and assuming the moral choice was not taking the fall, right? Uh, and I, we could probably spend a con- podcast debating that, but <laughs> you know, assuming that not taking the fall in this instance was the moral choice, you know, and he went, he he went the other way. Playing off what you said about Claire having to make this moral choice between the seemingly good NYPD officer or Daredevil, obviously she ends up siding with Daredevil. Uh, she agrees to get rid of the the officer who we know is a Russian that is posing as a police officer. And even though things seem to go without a hitch, Daredevil ends up doing away with him by dropping a fire extinguisher on his head. Yeah, it was a nice shot. It really is, yeah. And it, it makes, I don't know if, I, I had another point but I'm going to go ahead and bring it up now. Is Doesn't Daredevil have a no-death code? Or am I making that up? Am I pulling from, from later episodes? I think this point, if it was a fresh watch, we don't know that yet. Okay, because he's very haphazard. I'll just say that, and we'll, we'll, re, we'll pick this up later. We'll pick it up in a second. Um, <laughs> yeah, as, as of right now, on a first watch, yeah, that hasn't been brought up. Yeah, because that, 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 he's playing with fire there. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> oh, no, that, that, that pun was intended. <laughs> I know. You know me too well. All right. So uh, f- 
from there, uh, the next scene is we're back with uh, Foggy and Karen. Foggy's on the phone trying to reach Matt. He can't reach him. And he basically details that they have arrived at their usual bar spot. And uh, the, the scene starts from there. You know what? As I think yeah. about it, I don't think I've ever been to a bar like that. Really? Yeah. Just like, kind of like a shady dive bar? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I've, I've been to... No, I take that back. Never mind. I was going to say... I know my parents listen to this. I've been to a few and it's, uh, yeah, I don't uh, The one closest to that, I don't know if I'd call it shady. Mm -hmm. Um, if if that makes sense, but, but I'm just like a straight up, like this is what you do. Yeah. I don't know why. This is a tangent. I will say this. The last shady bar I was at, there was a guy, he, he's, he like brought his own pool stick and he would like challenge me to pull and he was just wiping the board with me. Like, he, I could not make a shot to save my life. And he was landing them left and right. And I swear, it went on for, like, a good 15 minutes. And he sank the eight ball, and I technically won. And I saw the look on his face, and he just died on the inside. And I felt so bad. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, like, I don't, I don't know why. That, that scene, that's what I thought of. I, I did find it interesting, though, that Foggy went around the room. And was like pointing yes. out, I was like, hey, this person, this person, you're safe. Meanwhile, his best friend and partner is Daredevil. Right. Like, like you're not the best judge <laughs> of people's uh, <laughs> nightlife, are you? <laughs> right. But um, to me, the, the thing I think I like about the scene is we finally, playing off what I said about how it felt a little rocky getting to where Karen was in episode one to where Karen is now, you know, they, they open up a lot more. And Karen, I mean, she reveals that she doesn't feel safe. Again, obviously so, given what happened to her. But she has the line that says, I don't see the city anymore. All I see are its dark corners. I look around this room and all I see are threats. And, and and like you said, Foggy kind of goes around the room and and starts detailing these people and like how despite the way they seem, he knows who they actually are. And whether or not, like you said, he's a good judge of character, I do like the way that Foggy's coming across as like he's a defender for the city. Like despite the fact that Karen feels unsafe, you know, he's showing the good side of the city. He clearly loves the city and she clearly at one time did. Yeah. love the city so to speak um and not just the the i mean the people right to go around and be able to know the people's names something about them about them you know he's very immersed in this city right mm-hmm. it is it's home it's it's it, it further fleshes out the relationship i think this is where it starts to get less in that creepy factor and because i mean he still is taking some some weird comments but it, it it's taking form on what they're trying to accomplish of like detailing where Karen's at at this point, emotionally given, given her relationship with the city. Right. And I think this really cements um, what we were saying from the very beginning, right. In terms of where they actually have a very vulnerable moment between the two Mm -hmm. of them, you know, and and she talks about, eh, clearly their scenes are my least favorite part of this episode. Um, you know, because while it's a very vulnerable moment when she said like, I can't get the stain out of my carpet and like, you're, you're, you're in an apartment. They would have, they would have changed the carpet. Um, (laughs) (laughs) like like that, that shouldn't have been a problem. Uh, but she did like said, open up and there was this where where they truly became friends at this point. 
because immediately foggy responds with like hey my cousin does detailing work i can get it fixed and she goes that's not the problem foggy like it's just like yeah I don't know. A great scene overall, I think, as far as seeing what they're trying to establish. Yeah. Well, no, and I understand, like, and there's an element where I did connect, right? Like, our house was broken into a few years ago, right? Mm-hmm. And so that knowing someone, we weren't tried, we weren't murdered or framed for murder in, in, in this case, but knowing someone who you don't know is in your house and rummaging around stuff, man, that's just a terrible feeling and you don't feel safe in your own home for some time just knowing that so so there i mean they captured that really well so from there we return to matt and claire they're back up on the roof they're holding the russian hostage and this is where we get to see more of claire and matt pushing and prodding to 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 get more info out of each other but i like that she says like you for an unbelievable amount of punishment uh with that one damn complaint like talking with him and how daredevil can take that level of punishment and i guess because i'm catholic uh this stood out to me you know where Mm -hmm. he's like that part's you know that last part's the catholicism yeah Um, and you know it it's it was funny to me because it plays on an old catholic stereotype it's funny to me because frank miller you know had Mm -hmm. that for him in the daredevil character in the comic he was like only a catholic could do this be both vigilante at night and lawyer um and i was, I was just and i'm always I was like, oh, really is that uh, okay maybe but <laughs> yeah like that that was really funny of that just playing on the catholic guilt there for me so and it, it, this is where you're starting to see her kind of push back eventually she starts to protest because as they have the russian held up and basically primed for torture she has that line where she says hey this is way past what i signed up for matt kind of like interjects here with his own questioning like most people see a dead body or a, a injured body in the dumpster and they call the police you brought me up why and this is where Claire, she she kind of reveals that she's heard of the Black Mass before. Like, she has dealt with people who have come in contact with them and the injuries that they've sustained, or she's heard from people who he's rescued and saved. And so I thought that was a nice illuminating scene of, like, Claire is 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 in on it more than she's letting on, even if she still has some qualms about the way that he's going about this. Oh yeah, like, and she makes that. She says that line. She makes the how? How did she phrase it? Um. So yeah, you are. You're getting known, or or people, or you know, mere making waves, or or some way she phrased it. That does give us a little bit more insight as to why she did what she did. Otherwise, it it it, it doesn't make sense. It completely doesn't make sense. But when when you're right, she didn't sign up for that, right? Like, and and I think it's that element of like seeing what she did in the hospitals. And seeing, oh, there's some good. She says, I want to believe in what you're doing and, and, and this good. But when you're actually faced with it and you helped carry a guy to a rooftop and you have helped tie him up, you know, and you know that next step is torture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, not that's not just for, for anybody. You know, like, this isn't <laughs> what I signed up for. I say, so right at this point, we begin, I think the last flashback. Right. Because I have mm-hmm. in my notes here where there's this line, Matt or Daredevil, man in the black mask, whatever, says to, to Claire, you can't give into the fear. Uh, if you do, men like this win. And then it's the first time that I think they transition in the flashback this way, like with this hard cut or it was it was the audio cue where Matt 
younger Matt is is reading the quote, but we're still in the present, mm-hmm. right? And what you have is that quote. The camera goes from Daredevil to Claire while that quote is being read. That kind of mirrors what he just said to her about fear, and right. then then we transition to the to the past. And and because I have the quote here, it's from Thurgood Marshall. It says, there is a price to be paid for division and isolation. Democracy cannot flourish amid hate. Justice cannot take root amid rage. We must dissent from the indifference. We must dissent from the apathy. We must dissent from the fear. And like you said, the way that they transition that from like the quote starting in the present and leading us right into the past with Matt reading it, that was that was such a really well done way to do that. Oh, yeah, it was it was a really good transition. Mm hmm. And it kind of leads us into, you know, know, Matt is at the dinner table. He's doing his homework. His dad gets a package and we see that his dad has got his new uniform for the fight that's coming up against Creel. And we kind of get more of the whole, you know, we're Murdochs. We get hit a lot. We get a lot of that punishment. It's in this moment that I think Jack begins to kind of reevaluate his decision to take the fall in the fight. I was going to say, oh, yeah, that line in particular, like I wrote that one down. Where he says, right, we're Murdochs. We get hit a lot, and, but we get back up. Right, Dad? We always get up. And and I don't think his dad responded. No. And yeah, because uh, there was this kind of recognition of like, hey, what have I taught my son, you know, in this? Um, and in some sense, that, that recognition, like you're saying, like, it's okay to take the fall because you get back up. And that's not... Uh, that's not obviously necessarily the the mindset maybe of a fighter so after after that kind of new revelation where he's he's deciding on what he's going to do he he ultimately calls his bookie uh places some bets on himself because you know he's making contingency plans because he doesn't feel like he's going to make his way through this i i actually have a question for you because this is something that i didn't understand he makes two phone calls he makes one to his bookie he places all the bets on him winning when he was supposed to lose um, and then he makes another phone call to somebody that it goes to voicemail and it, it, he's asking this person to take care of Matt after he's gone. Are we supposed to infer that was his mother? Cause I, I wasn't a hundred percent sure on that. I say, yes, I say, yes, yes that's, that was mom. Um, okay. now having said that, if you know the daredevil character and who his mom is, and I want to tread lightly here because yeah. Um, and not just for this episode, but as we record this episode, knowing you haven't seen past <laughs> middle of season two, yeah, I want to also tread lightly for that, you know. Okay, but I do think that's a correct way that, like, yeah, that was supposed to be mom, you know. Now, I do find interesting with this flashback that, and I wrote it down in all caps when Matt says that, like, lesson learned, right? Like, every flashback has been some form of get back up, get back up, right? And then for Matt to say, we go down a lot, Matt tells dad, hey, you know, we get back up. The lesson's been learned, right? This is what Murdoch's do. And even kind of going all the way back to what? The confessional in the beginning, right? Yeah. When he starts talking about his dad can take a punch, the Murdoch boys, like you kind of have all that. Gluttons for punishments, those Murdochs. So from there, we return back to our last scene with Karen and Foggy. It's, it's it's a pretty quick scene. Basically, they arrive at Matt's apartment. They're both incredibly drunk and and 
in kind of a last ditch effort, they're trying to get Matt's attention. They're not successful. It's just kind of more of the 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 same quality that we got back in the bar, where it's it's Foggy's reverence for the city and and kind of trying to show the good side of Hell's Kitchen. Yeah, it's for this episode. It's a nice way to wrap up their story. I I have to imagine the the neighbor across that was a rude awakening. I mean, you go from Matt, you know, who's probably unbelievably quiet. To, to the two of them banging on the door. <laughs> like you said, nice conclusion. Ultimately, I don't. It's the weaker part of this episode for sure. It, it had a, it had good ambitions, but I think old, the execution comes across clunky. It it does. Uh, the bar scene served its purpose of of mm-hmm. getting them uh, developing that relationship. But yep. but I agree with you. It's it's not, you know, the the strong suit. So from there, we cut back to the uh, the Russian imposter. He's awakening. Right. And there was a really good transition because they're walking on the sidewalk, Foggy and Karen, and they're talking about, oh, I love this city, right? And they pan up and you see in the skyline the water tower and then the close up to that water tower is what he was what he was tied to. So, yeah. So, like, I, I love that transition. Just, again, that, that economical, well-thought-out planning of these episodes. This is where Matt really starts to dive into his investigation to kind of get more information out of him. And I like the way that they they kind of did this because obviously you have Matt in his costume. And in the back, you can see Claire uh, has masked up as well to protect her identity. To me, it was kind of funny to see them both in such like, I guess, shoddy, basically uh, homemade outfits. Yeah, I found her mask scary. Really? Yeah, like just in the background, and I don't know. It was, well, actually, two things. First watch, it was really creepy. Just the way the <laughs> eyes, I don't know. It was something that was really creepy. Uh-huh. This time around, it, remi- it reminded me of the mascot in Community. <laughs> 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 so it actually went from, it actually went from very creepy the first time to one of the funnier things I've seen. <laughs> It, you know, maybe that's what it was because I had seen Community already by the first watch. So I was just like, oh, well, that's kind of funny. Because, like, my, my first impression is of, like, a little kid in an oversized ghost costume. <laughs> right, right, right. But, uh, you know, I mean, to kind of kind of carry that thread that we were talking about, like, this whole, this whole episode, we're having that moral dilemma with Claire where, like, how far is she willing to go to help uh, Matt? And we see in this, she straight up offers advice on how to torture this Russian to get information out of him. Yeah, right there, exclamation point in your notes. This show is brutal. Yes. It's definitely, total, like we said, totally different from anything that we've seen in the MCU prior to this. Well, and it was a quick switch on her part, too, right? Like, I didn't, it went from, I didn't sign up for this, but that, oh, here's the best way to torture this person. And I mean, it, it, it plays more into, obviously, the the kidnapping of the little boy is her hook because I think we have before this, we have that back and forth where Matt's like, I'm going to butcher the scene, but it's like, I'm going to punch you every time you don't tell me what I need to know. And you know, he asks him a question, he punches him. And then he's like, well, what's going to happen to the boy? He goes, we'll sell them like every other one. And Matt punches him again. He was like, Hey, I was telling the truth. And he goes, I know. And it's just like that. That's, that's the grounding hook for Claire is that anything that has to do with saving this boy, she immediately gets in. So we get kind of a a clearly defined moral compass for her. So eventually, as they are continuing on with their investigation, Claire helps them how to torture him. Matt gets to the point where he is just straight up hanging him off the ledge of the building. uh, And he kind of goes into this little bit of a monologue where he's like, I'm doing this because I enjoy it. Right. That one's that one's interesting because it reminded me of 
that first episode, letting the devil out. Right. Yeah. So you had that punch, right? He's like, I know. And so it was almost like that one's for him. And you feel like, or at least I did, felt like there was this transition of like, oh, you just kind of went overboard, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that line. And I don't know, man, I'm trying to think. I don't know if I've ever remember a show where you had that sense of like our hero or main characters beating someone and they're just outright. I do it because I like it. I'm trying to think. I don't I don't think off the top of my head, I can't think of any show that does that. Yeah. I mean, let's bring in Homecoming for a second. Right. Clearly, Peter Parker enjoys being Spider-Man, you know, but we're talking like the neighborhood stuff, the swinging and those things. And even when I say neighborhood stuff like stopping criminals. Yeah. And I enjoy being Spider-Man. But the brutality of it is clearly what Daredevil's enjoying, you know. Yes. And, and that's that's the part that is just like, wow. Yeah, I mean that transitions nicely because he eventually he does get the information he's looking for. He 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 finds out the location of the boy, and despite this, he still pushes the Russian off the ledge of the building, which is what I wanted to bring up. Again, we're not we haven't figured this out. If he's operating under this no death, you know, rule, he's very haphazard with this. Right. So clear. So there, Claire asks, "Is he dead?" He has a stop moment and listens, and he says, "He'll live." Right. And what I can't figure out, I don't know how to read that moment. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Let's see. In my notes, basically, it's honestly there. I felt like, OK, he doesn't care if the guy died. Right. Straight up. Right. He threw him over. The, he threw him over the edge. Claire asked in, in, in that sense. So what I don't know from, like, say, a creator standpoint, was that really like that? Hey, he'll live line. Was that going for a cheap laugh, you know, and were they willing to sacrifice character for a cheap laugh there? Mm-hmm. Or was it really, man, he he really just doesn't care. I want to say it's that he really doesn't care because of how well planned out these episodes have been. I would say he doesn't. I, I read it as he doesn't care. Like it, it struck me as odd because it take Claire out of that scene he never stops to listen for the heartbeat to see if he's going to be okay. So it it's it's a like you said you're kind of framing it wonderfully letting the devil out. I I really I don't think it's a cheap laugh. I think it is we're kind of like whoa, like okay. This that's that's we're kind of getting into gray areas here of his superheroism. Right. And I think it's just the way Charlie Cox delivered that line, the he'll live line, which made me kind of wonder is like was that a cheap laugh? That can't be a cheap laugh. You know, this just doesn't so far. It's not a show that goes for the cheap laugh. You know? Yeah. And I mean, the way the scene ends before, before we kind of exit that scene, Claire stops him and she insists that she doesn't believe that Matt enjoys fighting like that. She didn't, she didn't believe him when he said that I'm doing this cause I enjoy it, which unless you have any other thoughts, I think these next last few scenes, I can expound on that a little bit more later. Okay, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Okay, so we get to our final flashback. Um, uh, it's the it's the fight with Creel and Jack Murdoch. Uh, Matt is at home cheering alone. Uh, Murdoch wins, but as he tries to exit the the arena, we can see that he's clearly distressed as he's trying to get away from uh, the deal that he's backed out on. Right. Well, I like that that a Matt gets to cheer for his dad, but I also like that Jack got to hear the applause, the applause, yes. and the cheers. Right. That like he got to stop for a moment 
and enjoy that win. You know, you got a sense that he needed that, and that was something I really liked about that scene. Yeah, he, I mean, it, just the, the the feeling, like, he's distressed, he's distressed, he's opening up his things and, and grabbing it and trying to get out of there, and he just hears, Murdoch, Murdoch, and he just, he pauses, and, like, you can, I mean, it's great acting on the actor's part, whose name I don't have at the moment, but, like, you can see him, like, swell with pride, and, and uh, you it's, it's telegraphing what's coming, and it's just, it's so, it's a tragedy, like, you're feeling so terrible for what's about to happen. Yeah, well, in fact, I mean, there was kind of a rude awakening the way they get out of it with the gunshot, you know. I mean, because you have what you're familiar with, right? Little Matt waiting at the kitchen table for Dad to come home. That's what we've seen in the other ones. Uh, but this time, he gets, you know, he doesn't get Dad home. He gets that gunshot. And what I always found interesting about that is not only does he get the gunshot, it's like he knows to go look. It's not just that, because we've already established, right? He's in a violent neighborhood. You hear the yelling and stuff. I can't imagine that that was the first time he heard a gunshot in that neighborhood. So the idea that he heard a gunshot to wake him up and he knew to go look, I think was really telling and it's kind of a nice callback to the other flashback scene where he overheard, you know? Yeah. So he knew. He had he had that foreboding sense, which, God, now it's kind of hit me. Like, to have that, like, I, I didn't articulate that in my thoughts, but, like, to have you spell that out only emphasizes how happy yet sad seeing him cheer for his dad is like if he has this internal worry of like knowing that the gunshot is probably his dad what is he feeling in that moment where he's cheering for his dad knowing that he's winning oh yeah yeah like that's i mean he's seen his dad hit the mat enough times that they do a really good job of capturing this honest joy right and seeing the win and you get that out of both his dad but we all know what's going to happen because of this Mm -hmm. his dad knows and you really get a sense to me that i think matt knew too yeah uh john patrick hayden jack murdoch thank you phenomenal like okay and to kind of circle back to what you said earlier about immediately knowing he's a good father uh you can get the sense that you know he's not a father who has all the answers obviously you know he's letting his child uh drink underage he's having his child stitch him up but it's undeniable how much he loves and cares for his son and is just doing the best that he can. And he, the actor's name one more time? It is John Patrick Hayden. John Patrick Hayden is just doing a phenomenal job with it. Now, it was heartbreaking to me how Matt found him. So it was yeah. similar to how his dad found him after the accident, how his dad found Matt after the accident in the beginning of episode one. The, the way they did the audio there had a very similar feel. And Jack was alone walking up. The audio came clear as he found his son and or came into focus, maybe. And same thing. Matt's alone. It's dark. This time it's night rather than day, but he's alone. You have that audio. It comes into focus as he finds his son or finds his dad. And then what I found fascinating is they had that moment where same thing, that intimacy of touch, like he feels his dad's face laying there on the street. And then what we have as it comes out of that, you hear Matt crying and yelling for his dad, and then you transition to that next scene with the same thing. You hear the boy captured by the Russians crying for his dad. I, I just look. I'm, I've been trying to keep this like you know as smooth as we can. I'm just gonna read exactly what my note says. Here we go. We are back in the present of the Russians' hideout, and this is something I only know because of the benefit of having watched this already. 
this is the scene where Matt arrives and it's the infamous one take hall fight scene. Right. I wrote famous hallway scene and then I watched it and I had watched it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So I, I watched this multiple times in my first rewatch i i just sat there and watched it like i didn't take any notes and then i watched it again to kind of like try and gather my thoughts like if you pointed to i think one of the crowning achievements of the daredevil series from what i've seen and known you can just show the scene it is incredible how they convey the brutality of their fights while pulling off this impressive one take shot right right and i mean the acting was good too from Cox. I mean, cause you see that he got tired, right? Yes. Like you can see that he was already beat, you know, and you get that sense of, you know, nothing is going to stop me at this point. That's I, I also like what they hid from us when it goes into the rooms, you mm-hmm. know, like you, you still get the sound. And I like have, I liked having that kind of outsider looking in feel. And, and especially because there's so many times where you'll see like, and, and it shouldn't matter, but I think it's a clever way of handling the nitpickers who are like, oh, that's not realistic. Look, there's two guys just standing there to the side. But if you, if you play it off screen by keeping the camera in the hallway while Daredevil goes into the room, you kind of, your mind is filling in the blanks of what you're not seeing. And it makes that fight even more memorable because of the what you're inserting in in its absence oh yeah and i don't think you lose any sense of brutality in it right you still feel that sense of wow this is brutal uh another thing i wanted to point out because i mean you like you said everything has been mirroring each other so well between the flashbacks and what's going on when we see matt enter into the hallway and just kind of stand there before he begins his systematic takedown his hands are wrapped very similar to a boxing glove and i thought that was kind of a nice touch to kind of corral that all together yeah that was a that was a little nice touch because i don't think he's done that any other time we've seen him well not not in this episode or well i mean he at the end of episode one when he goes to train and he's not you know dressed in his gear mm-hmm. he wrapped up his hands like a boxer but mm-hmm. he, i don't think he wrapped his hands as a boxer at any of the other fight scenes as daredevil so eventually he ends up taking out all the bad guys and he rescues the boy and i wrote down exactly what you said because i i think we can kind of expound on this a little bit I, i've definitely got a few notes here he ends up going to the final room he he enters into the room by revealing his face and we hear him say i know you're scared but i'm here to help you you don't have to be scared anymore let's get you home to your dad what a great way to f- bring this all together after everything that's been building up between the present and the flashbacks. And even 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 the the simple of him moving his face mask up, I thought that was such a great callback to where his dad was like grounding him in that hospital scene by saying, "Hey, feel my face. I'm here. I'm here." Like it's a it, it I really like that. For me, clearly this also not only to save this, like he was saving younger Matt, right? Like yes. He, he himself was saved, right? And and he really had to... And notice, like, he let the devil out. He pushed the guy over the edge, right? And in that hallway scene, it was super brutal. We filled in the blanks. We just talked about it. But I don't think he didn't go overboard, mm-hmm. right? He knocked people out. He didn't kill them. He, he kind of had this, this kind of reconciling of who he is or who he wants to be and exercising those demons by saving this kid. To, to, to me, I think the easiest and my takeaway is because it answers that question about where Claire's like, I, I don't think you enjoy this. I'd be curious to see what you say. But from what I came away with, Matt feigns that he enjoys doing this. But after all the emotional trauma that we saw of his father and his dealings with criminals that we see 
we see what pushes him to kind of go overboard from time to time with, with, you know, the way that he handles these criminals to save the young boy. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it's necessarily an enjoyment. I think he just uses that as a justification for that letting the devil out, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that does it. That concludes episode two, Cutman. Uh, do you have any overall thoughts before we wrap this one up? I, I really like um, how they took us through the past, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of introduce, I mean, not kind of, they introduced the new character, but they kind of was able to take and you see... I mean, we, we mentioned it a lot in scenes for scene, how they mirrored the present with the past and him kind of by the end reconciling what had happened to him and mm-hmm. truly embracing uh, his role. What about you? For me, I like you like we, when we, we've been hammering the point home, the way that it's intertwined its story in the past. Uh, I think that's done really well. You know, the 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 C plot with Karen and Foggy could have been better, but but. Overall, I legitimately enjoyed this episode. And on the topic of, of like seeing these characters come back to the MCU proper, I the way they introduce Rosario Dawson's character, Claire, I would be totally on board for having her continue on with this role. I think she did a great enough job of showing who she is in such little screen time and established that relationship between her and Daredevil as far as, like, uh, like we said, the man in the chair. And I, I really like their dynamic going forward. Right. So I have to ask you this. You've not seen any of the other Netflix shows, right? I have seen all of Daredevil season one, half of Daredevil season two, every episode but one of Jessica Jones, and that's it. Okay. Because I would say, she she is that character that kind of pulls that thread that pulls all of them together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, I guess if you mean that transition to the MCU proper, then yeah, I think that would work just as well. Well, that's going to do it for episode two. I'm really, really happy with the way this one came out, and I'm, I'm excited for episode three. I'm, episode three is what I've been waiting for, because I, I remember watching this the first time. I saw the title, and from what I remember, I think I know it's coming up, and I'm pretty pumped about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about talking about this one. But yeah, of course, we like to end every episode by giving you a little bit to chime in on as well, as, as of course, if you have thoughts about the episode, we'd love to hear them, but... This is going to be this week's question for our podcast. Jude, do you have any pet peeves from the MCU? Um, I actually kind of started to tease it in this episode. Really? Uh, yeah. And I almost said a foreshadowing, but I, but I left it alone. I, one of the things I like about this Netflix and what kind of makes me ex, excited, um, not kind of, I mean, one of the things that I'm excited about the Disney Plus shows is with this long form storytelling, how they're able to develop characters in that so there's this element of you know the storytelling of like i mean and it's cliche where it's like do you have well-developed villains you know kind kind of thing it's sometimes easy like if you're not quite sure who the villain is yet in a movie you you know you can actually kind of figure it out because they're not gonna they want to develop a character they're not just gonna throw somebody in randomly you know, mm-hmm. mid movie or the third into the third act and like, oh, this is who it is. It's going to be somebody we've known all along. So there's some element of character development that the movies just can't do. That's the, actually where I, where I settled in. Now, thinking about this question throughout the week, my frustration would be my, originally I was going to say the stakes, but that was kind of an emotional response because I think we've talked about this. Like after Infinity War, one of my thoughts was kind of the grieving process of watching that movie, you, you know, like, like being sucked in. It was like, okay, I've accepted it. Those characters are dead. If they'd never yeah. made a movie of, with those characters again, I would mostly be okay with it. 
Wow. Right? Yeah, like I, I, I reached that point where just like, okay. Now, intellectually, I knew that wasn't going to happen, mm-hmm. right? But I, that was one of the things that I really enjoyed. One of the things I love about the MCU is I got sucked into that level, right? Even intellectually mm-hmm. knowing this and thinking about that, that it was like, man, they, they sucked me into that level to say, yeah, these characters are dead. But I, I think that's the other thing. It's just there's so many good characters that doesn't get developed, you know, because of format. That would be my pet peeve. What about you? What, what about you? What's your pet peeve? For me, my biggest pet peeve, I am not a fan of the retroactive continuity. For example, in Iron Man 2, there's a scene where Iron Man swoops down in front of a young kid and people have gone back and tried to assert that that was young Peter Parker. I don't know. There's just something about Um, that. What do you mean trying to assert that was young Peter Parker? Are you on the side that you believe it's young Peter Parker? I am. No! (laughs) Really? Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. There's just something about it. Like, obviously, they couldn't do it at the time because they didn't have the rights to the character. But it just to me, it kind of loses a specialness to it. If you just go back and be like, oh, yeah, you know, that that's that. Or uh, you picked a bad example for me, though. So, <laughs> OK, well, then I got two more examples for you. So I'm, I'm definitively against that one. Another one that I don't like, but I can kind of see the logic on is Cap was worthy in Ultron. Uh, where he kind of nudges the Mjolnir. I don't like that. To, I don't like the idea that he was always worthy. He just chose not to lift it to save Thor's feelings. Just because I feel like that takes away from the specialness of him lifting it in Endgame. Okay, I agree with you on that one. 100% okay. agree with you on that. My issue with your example of Iron Man 2 is, I. <laughs> this is going to sound bad, I feel like Iron Man 2 is one that retroactively becomes better. Uh-huh. because of all the callbacks, right? All of those little things that it's like, that was there the first time around, but as the MCU uh-huh. got fleshed out and you go rewatch it, and you're like, oh, that's, you know, the Tesseract and the notebook, and that's this. Like, And mm-hmm. having all of those moments kind of retroactively, especially when Winter Soldier comes out and they bring back the Senator, and you find out, oh, he's Hydra. You know, I mean, th- those things like that, when you knowing that, going back and watching it, just makes that movie better so that mm-hmm. so I, that's why i say it's probably not that's why i say it's probably not a good example for me i can go out on a limb with you here because even though this is my pet peeve i do kind of want to believe this last example in the incredible hulk we see uh, a scene where like uh banners trying to get into the library by like sneaking in pizza the character that gets bribed with the pizza is martin star i believe is his character his actor's name and Obviously, that's set when that, that character is in college. And then in Spider-Man Homecoming, Martin Starr is a new character who is a teacher. And there are people who are trying to kind of make that connection that, oh, he was studying to become a teacher in Incredible Hulk. And then we see him become a teacher in Homecoming. I want to believe that one. But at the same time, I just I, if, if it has to be clear cut, I'm I'm I would be against retroactive fitting uh, storylines like that. Yeah, that that one. I'm I'm kind of with you on that one. I think it's because it has such little significance because like he's not named as far as I understand in the Incredible Hulk and you don't get a lot of time with him that you can you can kind of make that mental jump a little bit. But I don't know. I'm overall not a fan. No, no, no. I get I get you on that one. But uh, what about you? If you'd like to let us know your MCU pet peeves or if you'd like to discuss Daredevil season one, episode two, you can add us on Twitter at 
MCU Need to Know, or if you'd like to tag us on Instagram at MCU Need to Know as well, or if you'd like to write us an email, you can email us at MCU Need to Know at gmail.com. And if you want to help us out, uh, go to wherever you catch your podcast, Apple Podcasts or wherever, and give us a rating. That would really be appreciated. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much for doing this, Jude. Oh, thank you, Trey. Um, I'm excited. Can't wait. I'm excited too. We'll see you all next week. Yeah. We'll go ahead and get synced. Uh, one, two, three, four. What am I doing? <laughs> you say go. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's why I was wondering when I said four. Like, well, now I know what's going at the end of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Also, that's what I wanted to say, too. I love that we did that, uh, where we have that little bit at the end, because it's like it's in the spirit of Marvel, the end tag scene. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay, all right. All right. Let, just for just for clarity, let's go ahead and do the sync one more time. <laughs> yeah. Okay.